I'm so nervous. My stomach hurts. I kind of want to puke. <laughs> That was me starting my year asking for a haircut. The kicker? I was at PetSmart. And it wasn't for a prank or to entertain a retail employee. It was to get over my fear of embarrassment by doing rejection therapy. And I'm not sure if it entirely worked. I intended on this mission, this social self-help game created by Jason Comley, where being rejected is the sole winning purpose. And even though he invented it, the person that perfected this concept is Jia Jiang, who created a 100-day challenge in order to desensitize himself. I took a few off that list to begin my year, and I completed the first one, the one you just heard, feeling like a failure. Oh no. Because I did fail multiple times. The first time I went to Pet Smart, I had my line memorized and I chickened out. I just need a minute. <laughs> my cheeks are flushed, hands clammy. And it was my first attempt of getting an easy win in the new year and I, I just, I couldn't do it. I mean, asking a dog groomer for a haircut is harmless, but I, I just couldn't do it. I told myself it wasn't the right time. My sister was with me. My dog was with me. There was a semi-long line behind me. I didn't make enough eye contact during checkout. Those were all just excuses. And then the second time, a week before the deadline, I failed again. He legit laughed at me. I had it all mapped out. I had my five challenges planned and I avoided every opportunity to seize the day. This was the week right after the new year. And I was getting a little tickle in my throat, so I was getting a bit sick and I told myself to rest up. I also told myself that I, I needed to do a bit more research. I wasn't ready. And I avoided it at all costs. And it became daunting. I was paralyzed. And I'm not even sure why I was so afraid to go to PetSmart and do the other challenges, like go to Barnes & Noble. Yeah, a customer is asking if we have a borrowing system. You know, I was coping by being avoidant. And that became stressful. And I was doing everything to escape the uncomfortable. All good if you don't. I just saw that kind of thing. I did complete the challenges, spoiler alert. But what I got out of it was something completely unexpected. Mind you, no one forced me. I did it on my own free will. I even pitched the idea. And I was honestly incredibly excited when I pitched rejection therapy. So why do I still feel bad? This is Uniquely Milwaukee. It's everything you love about community stories, but more in depth. Giving the stories the time and attention they deserve. Changing perspective one episode at a time. I'm your host, Salam Fathayed, and this is Uniquely Milwaukee. Stories that stick with you. It's a new year, and every year we get a variation of a specific question. What's your New Year's resolution? That question is equally liberating and unsettling. And it's a question I'm going to ask later on during this episode and perhaps the rest of the month because we're taking Uniquely Milwaukee and experimenting. Every month, you're going to get more of a focus on a specific topic. And throughout this month, these episodes will be maybe a bit strange, endearing, and we hope that each episode you get something different out of it, but it's all held together by an invisible string. And if you just zoom out, 
it becomes a finished puzzle piece and fits within the box of the selected theme. We have a lot of cool things cooking up for you for the year, but for the first month of January, we couldn't resist. This month is all about the new year. New year elevated you. 365 days to change it all. 2023 is gonna be your year. And I was curious by that, you know, tackling why we constantly need to reinvent ourselves. What were the underlying feelings within the new year, new me mindset? Is it even healthy? Are we setting ourselves up to failure? Or is it our nature to step back, reflect, and set intention to the new year? I have a nine month old and she's just starting to use like the cushion or the couch to stand up. And I think how yeah. brave is this little nine month old? You know, really her legs aren't strong enough. She has the potential to topple over. And I think, gosh, have I been that brave in recent months of doing something as risky as she is? That's Dr. Shiloh Mergain from UW Health. As you know, we really wanted to focus for January of 2023 around kind of New Year's resolutions, but really tackle the month about lifelong learning and trying new things. But before we wanted to start everything, we really wanted to analyze the psychology to fully understand it. And more specifically, like the thoughts and motivations that go into wanting to improve yourself, whether that is, you know, feeling stuck or inadequate. So just to start off real simple, where does that fear come from? You know, when you're trying something new that would bubbles up. What is that? We tend to be creatures of habit. And as a result, it can be more common than not to get stuck in a rut. And the new year is a really great opportunity to create a growth mindset and really reset our comfort level by creating some goals, reflecting on the year ahead to think about what would feel most enlivening in terms of how I want to spend this upcoming year. So you mentioned a little bit like what would feel more like aligned with yourself. Why is it important to make that distinction rather than maybe perhaps like this is how I should be? I'll give you an example. For me, I want to read more this year. Like there's a part of me that it's because, you know, I want to be enriched in new cultures and find new vocabularies. But like a different level is that maybe I feel a little bit that I'm not as eloquent or I want to be more interesting in my friend group. Is there a distinction of how to go into these goals? Well, I love that resolution that you have for yourself in the way that it'll enrich both your life, but also the people that you surround yourself with. And I think you really highlighted the way of making these resolutions is keeping the end in mind. When you think about yourself a year from now, what will you have wanted to achieve? What experiences, the kind of growth, the perspective, the knowledge, the joy, and keeping that bigger picture in mind can really help you guide the course. Um, this upcoming year and also really clarify what's most important. Again, we can get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of daily life and just living on autopilot, just trying to survive, get through the day, get through the workday, putting food on the table for ourselves or our children, doing the laundry, running errands, that we can lose touch with what's most important. Research shows people at the end of their life never wish that they would have done more errands or worked more. Instead, what they wish they would have spent more time with was those experiences and really capturing the joy of what it means to be alive. 
you know, in your case, you're talking about wanting to read interesting books and soak up that knowledge and maybe through the pages, travel to new destinations or learn new novel ideas. That's amazing. And I think that also speaks to creating these mindful moments when we're really present and really staying true to those core values of what makes this a really meaningful and enjoyable life. You mentioned this a little bit briefly with the first question, but I think kids are a little bit more brave of trying new things. Uh, You know, like you fall, you bounce right back up. Why do you think it's more challenging for adults to step out of their bubble? I think, again, we just get comfortable with where things are. And growth can be scary, can be challenging. And, you know, we often can want to avoid those uncomfortable feelings. And instead, I think we can shift our mindset to embracing the discomfort. We can do hard things. And if we are on that edge of our growth, it will feel uncomfortable. And we can embrace that. You know, there's something very enlivening in that. And sometimes we think it has to be really big. Instead, think about starting small to just move outside that growth. Like as you're saying, just making time for a book might feel like, gosh, this feels a little uncomfortable. Maybe I'm not doing my to-do list, but I'm taking this time for my book. I think one of my takeaways for people is to really make yourself a priority. Think about trying to carve out around 43 minutes a day to yourself. If you don't have time each day, a few days, maybe even once a week, because I think that spaciousness will also help shine the light on what's important and also give you some space and time to really have that moment of taking action. And, you know, and to have those support people too. I think if you are around people who are doing new things, who are pushing themselves, working towards those goals, you're going to get inspired too, versus maybe being around people who are just zoning out in their free time all the time in front of the TV that might fill the time, but at the end of the year, not feel that memorable or enjoyable. Thank you so much for bringing that up because I think that's solid advice that I will really think about in my own personal life because I think sometimes for me, I spend more time thinking about reading than actually reading when I could have used those 30 minutes. You know, coming out of the pandemic, I feel like a lot of people have been a little bit more isolated. Maybe perhaps they lost their social group or they used to do these wonderful things like perhaps rock climbing and now it shut down and reopened. So they're not really back in it. Do you have any other um, tips of how you can break that cycle? I think that's such a great point, right? I mean, during COVID and the pandemic, we have gotten a little more isolated and a little more insular that our bubble has gotten much smaller. And so in this, I think we it's really important in the new year to say yes to new experiences. I've taken some improv classes over the years and they have the yes and motto that life throws you something. Your improv partner gives you a line that you have to riff off of and the response you have to have is yes and versus no but. Um, so you say yes and to new experiences. And you know, in that, pay attention to how those things land. If again, it can feel a little anxiety provoking, a little fear based if you're trying something new like rock climbing but afterwards do you feel a little exhilarated do you feel a little more alive are your senses more heightened that's a good thing and then there might be some things that you've been in the habit of that are just drains you end up feeling exhausted and wiped out and deflated that's important to minimize doing those things and and again you know you can look at your associations of people that you surround yourself with and you might even be a little more selective really trying to draw in people and make time and prioritize those friendships and family members that 
really do add a lot to your life, who make you a better person, who inspire you, who will encourage you to go for those goals or try those new things. I think those are the people you want to keep very close in your life. How is that improv class going for you? Um, you know, I only, I, right now I do it once a year. It's a continuing at a week long, but I always leave feeling quite brave. <laughs> having, you know, that you, you stand in the middle of the room and they give you a topic and you have to just improv for a minute or two and it's terrifying. But at the end, you feel like you've really done something pretty remarkable oh, and miraculous. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. And no, I you... think that permission to just try things regardless of how it turns out. I think that's also part of the lesson this year. You mentioned something that I, was quite interesting for me about things that kind of drain you. When you're trying something new and you know how sometimes we think we're going to like something, we're throwing pasta on the wall, see if it sticks. How do you know when to stop doing something or if this is just fear or anxiety? Yeah, I think of the fear stress curve that a little bit is helpful. And that can, you know, often the times we remember are those peak moments when we're doing something really new, you know, our senses are heightened, we might feel on pins and needles, our heart might be elevated and might be beating and racing higher. But I think when we get into too much stress and anxiety, that is often when we start to shut down, when we start to get tunnel vision, when we start to feel so overwhelmed, we're having trouble thinking or concentrating or sleeping, that usually is where, you know, that zone we don't want to get into. So looking at kind of how your body is responding, how your mind's responding in the moment and then afterwards. And again, those things that are really beneficial leave us feeling pretty exhilarated afterwards. Yeah, that's so great. So it seems like it's just all about being mindful, listening to your body and having that balance, which is great. We can't stay in this heightened new novel, you know, we'll burn out. It's also important to think about having those interesting experiences working towards those goals, but then also having that time to recharge and refresh and restore. I love that. So we learned a little bit about, you know, trying something new and how that could be very beneficial. But what if in that moment you're feeling that embarrassment or you're feeling that anxiety? How can you redirect that? I think that's a great question. And we see that from the world of sports psychology, elite athletes need to handle the largest competitive stage and manage some of those pre-performance jitters. And practices like mindfulness of using mindful breathing can be quite helpful. When we are stressed and feeling anxious, we tend to breathe really shallow in our chest. And that kind of uh, breathing is known as survival breathing or stress breathing. So one of the best things we can do to support our physiology and our energy and our mood of going into these action steps towards our goals is to practice slower, lower breathing. And in particular, I love a four, six breath count for doing it for 10 breaths. So you're breathing in, filling the stomach with air to the count of four. And as you breathe out, you're breathing out for the count of six. And you do that for 10 breaths. So breathing in for four, out for six. As you breathe in, stomach is expanding with air. As you breathe out, stomach is deflating. And that kind of breathing actually calms and quiets the central nervous system. And really to achieve anything, again, we want to get into that optimal zone of stress and anxiety. And that helps us from uh, flipping over into that tipping point where it's unproductive. So that's something I constantly forget about. We do it naturally, but intentional breathing. When I went to therapy, I learned about four by four breathing and it was just, it felt really revolutionary because I'm like, no one knows that I'm doing this, but internally I'm trying to calm myself down. 
Have you heard of rejection therapy by chance? Uh, tell me a little more. So in order to tackle this month, I decided to put myself on this test and try rejection therapy where it's basically you put yourself through intentional rejection to encourage yourself to be okay with people saying no. Online, there was an individual that had a TED talk about it and wrote a book of a 100 day challenge of rejection therapy. The first one is asking a stranger for $100. And these all are gonna be like no's, but you put yourself in socially awkward rejection therapy type of situations. From a first glance, do you see that there's some sort of benefit? Absolutely. I love that, the rejection therapy. (laughs) And, you know, similar to what I was thinking earlier of this notion of failing fast, not being afraid to be rejected or to fail at something or to lose or make a mistake. I think that can be that fear and the importance and magnitude that we place on something like rejection. It can really immobilize us and be one of the things that stops us from taking action. So not being so afraid and learning strategies to pick yourself back up, to bounce back, to try again. And I think, as you said, to have a a little experiment of 100 days of doing something where people are saying no and rejecting you, you build a bit of a a thicker skin and and more of that stronger muscle to go for things, right? right? And if we look at the people who are most successful, right, they failed a lot of times, but they keep picking themselves back up. They don't have to do it perfectly. They make a lot of mistakes. There's a messiness to going for some of these goals. And you often don't see that, right, in the keynote speaker, the TED Talk, you know, if people look so polished and like they have it all figured out, but they don't see kind of what it takes, those small steps along the way. So building that resilience, it's really a resilience muscle of trying something that doesn't work out. Okay, try again tomorrow. And sometimes we need that help or to brainstorm or think creatively of how to approach it. And maybe that's part of this year is trying something that feels slightly out of reach, that maybe you get some rejections or some no's or kind of have some failures or mistakes, but learning that strength and that skill of, hey, you know, I'm going to try again tomorrow. It's not the end of the world. I I can do it again. And maybe over time, I can really get there. I can achieve that. I can get that success. And I can get that yes from somebody else (laughs) instead of that rejection, that acceptance. Support for 88.9 comes from your membership and the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. Through the Greater Together campaign, the foundation and community work together to build a thriving Milwaukee for all. Partnership ideas at greatermilwaukeefoundation.org. I started the year embarrassing myself, and I did it on purpose. I remember asking a dog groomer for a haircut. Yeah, it didn't end there. I went to Barnes & Noble and asked if I could borrow a book, a fancy hotel, the Renaissance, and asked for a free room. Even went to Red Lobster and asked if we could adopt a lobster. But let's step back and talk about rejection therapy. And no one can sell this other than Jia Jiang, who did 100 days of rejection. I learned a lot of things. I discovered so many secrets. For example, I found if I just don't run, if I got rejected, I could actually turn a no into a yes. And the magic word is why. So one day I went to a stranger's house, had this flower in my hand, and I said, knock on the door, I said, hey, can I plant this flower in your backyard? <laughs> and, and he said, no. Um, but before he could leave, I said, hey, can I, can I know why? And he said, well, 
I have this dog in, that would dig up anything I put in the backyard. I don't want to waste your flower. If you don't do this, go across the street and talk to Connie. She loves flowers. <laughs> so that's what I did. I went across and knocked on Connie's door, and she was so happy to see me. <laughs> and then half an hour later, there's this flower in Connie's backyard. I'm sure it looks better now. <laughs> So the time was ticking. I had a deadline coming up. I had symptoms of flu, and I was getting sick, and the stress was getting to me. I talked to my friend on the phone and nonchalantly told her that I didn't start yet, and she did the best thing a friend could do. Oh, do you want me to come with you? I can definitely help. I mean, Andrea was my saving grace. She needed a little bit of a push. It's on accountability. So I did the first challenge. You guys did such a good job cutting my dog's hair. Um, you guys don't trim human hair, do you guys? No, we don't. Okay, cool. Thank you. I just need to get my hair cut. I mean, I did it, and I didn't die. It was kind of funny and silly, and then, and then I started overanalyzing it. I messed up. I asked if they cut human hair instead of just asking, "Can I get a haircut?" And then I just couldn't stop uncomfortably giggling. So the drive to Barnes and Noble for the second challenge, what was festering within me was pure disappointment. And even though I avoided this task, I still demanded perfection. I saw on TikTok that there was like a borrowing system on Barnes and Noble, like where you borrow books. Do we have a borrowing system? All good if you don't. I just saw that on a thing. That's fine. I'm waiting for a response. Yeah, a customer is asking if we have a borrowing system, saying they saw something online. We do not. Okay, cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. And then something strange kind of happened. Andrea asked if she could participate, and she did three flawless social experiments. And yes, I am going to tally them as my own. We combined our successes. Give me a break. I was deep into having the flu. And round of applause. She was amazing. I was wondering if we could get a free room. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately not. <laughs> okay, so you guys have nothing like where we could get like a free room. Unfortunately. Okay. I, I might have ruined that attempt by giggling. So not only was I mad at myself for delaying inoffensive tasks that seemed to bring some joy and laughter to a mundane workday, I was bad at it. And then my friend schooled me. I mean, don't get me wrong, I was ecstatic that it was over. But right before bed, I started overthinking it. And then I texted her. I wanted to have a recorded conversation about our experience because it was completely different for both of us. How are some people so good at taking things lightly, commanding the room, perfecting their pitch, speaking confidently, and others are crippled by it? For me, I feel like for a very long time, and I think this comes from me as a child just being so hyper aware of like are people looking at me are like are they content with what I'm doing am I like getting approval and out of all the years and years of therapy and trying to get self-love and self-confidence I've kind of just come to that conclusion of like 
people are going to think what they're going to think no matter what. You know, the reason I decided to start rejection therapy in the beginning of the year is because I'm someone that easily gets embarrassed. I think about myself a lot in relation to how other people are going to perceive me. And I'm also someone that's just uncomfortable with things. I'm someone that's going to laugh out loud or... I don't really do things if I know I'm going to fail at them. And I hate that about myself because I feel like there was a younger version of me that said yes to things or that looked at life more fully and more lively. And now I'm just like the scared being. And so I gave myself this challenge and I failed at it. Not once or twice or three times. I think it's this idea that we have as like a society, if we don't do things exactly the way they're supposed to be done, that we failed. But in reality, like you did do it. You did exactly what you were supposed to do. And so there wasn't any failure. A big thing that we talk about is like the 80-20 rule. So there's 20% of things that you can control. The other 80% is like, outside of your control and that's kind of the stuff that you have to be like it is what it is about because you don't have control so you can waste time fretting over it and like spiraling or ruminating on it but it's not going to do anything for you because it's not going to change anything why do you think it was so hard for you to get started on actually doing the rejection therapy I think it was just like the fear of looking stupid. Like, I think I do care what people think about me. I knew the intent was to get rejected, but something about I couldn't do it. Like, I, I want to go deeper and maybe talk to someone about it, but I think it, it bottles down to like this feeling as a kid and just feeling dumb or feeling like everyone's in on this joke except for you. The conversation naturally ended on a high note. We asked each other one final question, and I, I did tell you I was going to ask this question. So it's 2023, and you, Andrea Ruffier, what are you looking forward to in this year? I am really looking forward to putting myself first this year. I've been finding some self-love, using tools outside of my therapy, like the book Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. Yeah, so just really being compassionate towards myself, starting, you know, to really like love myself for who I am and where I'm at right now. So you gave me the hard question. I'm going to give it right back to you. In 2023, what are you looking forward to the most? So I thought about this quite a lot. I broke them down to two different categories something that yields productivity and something that just like I want to do in 2023. I really want to be more mindful and I want to be more forgiving in 2023. Forgiving to who? Okay, and thought I was getting super deep in it. Both forgiving to myself, but also the people around me that I've carried a lot of resentment and anger and I'm just ready to let that go. I also want to take more risks and I think that's why I chose rejection therapy as like the first challenge. I didn't realize how much of an effect it would have on me. I thought it would be this silly little experiment and I didn't know that I carried so much of that real, real fear and embarrassment within me. So that's kind of exciting to know if there's going to be a change by 2023, if by the end of the year, if that kind of goes away from a whole new person. <laughs> and like something that I really want to do that really, I guess it is kind of productivity. <laughs> I want to cook more. 
I realized in 2022 that I love having people over and I love sharing like that love language and like being in the kitchen with people that I love. So I really want to do that in 2023 a bit more. You know, for those that are making their goals at the moment, do you have any like tips or any good first goal that you can make? If it, Not like specifically like, you know, read a book or go skydiving, but how do you practice being a little bit more mindful? Or maybe when you're trying to filter out those goals, which one would be a good goal and which one wouldn't? Or if there is even a, such a thing as a bad goal? I never think there's something as like a bad goal, but thinking about, again, just reflecting on the meaning and trajectory of your life and core values and what's important for you, for your family. You might involve loved ones. I think a great thing to do are parents and children or spouses or partners setting goals together that reflect some of those answers to what's most important. And then think about creating a plan that you can work towards. And you have that kind of long-term goal, maybe something I want to accomplish by 12 months, but then break it down into the month. And then even small steps you can take each week or each day. And again, you know, we, we often feel that sense of meaning and purpose. And what we remember most are those things that we're paying attention to, that we're bringing our attention into the moment. So sometimes we can get so busy doing that we forget some of the the joy and beauty of living is being. In the midst of working towards those goals, think about creating a mindfulness practice. A simple one is just using a five senses practice that you bring your awareness to one thing in your environment here and now using your senses, your sight, your sound, your smell, taste and touch to be here now and stopping and savoring those moments that make up our life are often the memories that linger and the ones we remember at the end of each year. I love that. That's solid. This actually just came up from what you said. Why do you think we constantly have that need of maybe reinventing ourselves or transforming or growing? Is it because it's like innately a human thing or do we just not feel satisfied with who we are? I think there is a drive to become lifelong learners and to constantly evolve and grow and and learn. And I think, again, that could also lead to some reflection for this year of what kinds of new experiences, skills, or hobbies do you want to work towards? And it can be a, a bit of an experiment, exploring and experimenting through trying those new experiences. So this is a story about failure. Believe me, I didn't want it to be. If I could have it my way, I wouldn't even be the person that would need rejection therapy. And there's a part of me that's slightly embarrassed and ashamed that I put this out. While working on this episode, there were so many times I criticized myself, my pronunciation, my voice, my laugh, my attempts. But I'm giving myself permission to try things, even if it doesn't work out. And that's the reality of life. I'm going to fail. And you will too. But we will bounce back. And it could be something as silly as a social experiment or something incredibly meaningful to you where you put your entire being into it and it just didn't work out. You know, this process revealed something to me and that You know, something's holding me back from being the person I'm destined to be, and that is fear. And I don't think I'm at a place where I've conquered that fear. I mean, clearly, we all heard the episode. But I faced it, and I did it anyway. 
And I hope next time when I do something scary, it feels better. And that's what this month is about. A new year, but an elevated you, not a new you, because we're all works in progress. And it's okay to love yourself and be in a journey of acceptance when you have flaws. This month is going to be all about that and about tackling that fear and going beyond the fear. We're going to be following a group of ladies learning how to play an instrument for the first time. And they're going to form a band in less than a week and perform after only a few days of learning how to play said instrument. We're going to be talking to folks who got their degree later in life and followed a non-traditional path. And we're going to be speaking to someone that's learning radical self-love. We hope that you enjoyed the first unfiltered episode of New Year Elevated You for the month of January. And we'll see you next time. This is your host, Salam Fathayed. Thank you to Nate Imig, our executive producer, Kiri Salinas, our audio production manager, Brett Krasgowski is our web editor. Thank you to our marketing team led by Sarah Lar. Graphics and our wonderful logo is made by Aaron Bagata. Our community engagement coordinator is Mallory Wallace and Dan Reiner handles our social media accounts. And a big, big thank you to our city loving members for making Uniquely Milwaukee possible. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast and tune in next week for the next episode of Uniquely Milwaukee.